I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas Adam yesterday, because Adam comes before Eve, right? Sorry, I needed to get at least one dumb dad joke in. Now that I hopefully got that out of my system, probably not. There's probably more to come. You're welcome. I am glad to be here with you this morning. Today we get to continue to celebrate with expectant hope the coming of our King. And later tonight at our service this evening, we're going to have the candles lit and sing together. And we'll light that center candle, the one for Christ Himself reminding us that Christmas is about so much more than just the fun and the holidays and the stress and the food. Christmas is about our King who has come. Our King who has come for us today and forevermore. Our King who will never leave us nor forsake us. And over the last several weeks of Advent, we have been exploring some of the parables of Jesus, things He taught about this King, about this kingdom, and what it looks like for you and me. Perhaps if you were here, you recall me saying, pardon me, perhaps you recall that uh, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it can be sometimes a little bit confusing. Because most of the kingdoms we know about are physical, with boundaries and with castles or palaces or places of authority, places we look to and we say that's where the power comes from. Most of the kingdoms we know about come with might and force and military and not only have the ability to conquer when necessary, to defend at all costs. And so often when we read Scripture and we hear Jesus describe His kingdom coming, we picture His kingdom come as Him physically being in this place in such a way that there is a geographical boundary and a limit and this is His kingdom. And sometimes in America we make the mistake of equating His kingdom with our nation. We say if only our nation would be godly, then His kingdom would come. And yet, as we look at this king who's coming, it's important to remember that when Jesus talks about his kingdom coming, he's talking about the reign and the rule of God. All of God's reign over this earth, all of his rule, everything he's doing, not within any specific geographic boundaries or political structure or military might, but as a whole of God caring for this creation, leading and nurturing and guiding and providing as a whole, everything he does, what is it like? And perhaps in these parables these last few weeks, you've noticed that oftentimes when God, when Jesus describes what this kingdom of God is like, it's not like you and I would expect. It's not like we are thinking should come because it's not like any kingdom or king we've ever seen before. And today on the eve of Christmas morning, as we look forward to that little baby, we see all the more that his kingdom comes in the least expected ways. His kingdom comes in the least anticipated ways, often in small and subtle, ordinary ways. But before we get into Scripture, I just want to share with you a little story. 
First off, I still have that cough from like three weeks ago, so sorry about that. I'm sucking on some cough drops to hopefully help. We'll get through this. But when I was growing up, we did not have a lot of money, but my parents had a lot of creativity, and they loved to make Christmas super special. We also had a bunch of foster kids in my house, and these foster kids came with a whole host of differing backgrounds and experiences and expectations for Christmas. Some of them came from really lovely families who cared for them deeply and had wonderful Christmases, but were going through trying times and could not continue to care for their kids in that season. Some of them came from absolutely broken backgrounds and had never celebrated Christmas before. And so my family always sought to make Christmas something extra special. And my parents did all sorts of things to do that. Um, Sometimes they worked and sometimes they said, we won't try that again next year. But they always tried to make a point that whatever gifts were available under the Christmas tree, we did not know who was getting what gift. Because they wanted us to wonder, is the big one mine or the little one? Some years there were 12 for one person and one or two for another, not because they were you know, loving one person more than another, but because sometimes they would get one really special gift that was a little more expensive, something a little more meaningful. And one year in particular, they had written names on all of the Christmas gifts, which of course we assumed meant that was who our gift or who who got what gift. And there was one particular gift. It was huge. I mean, it was the biggest one, not under the tree, next to the tree. It was almost as tall as me as a little kid. It was so exciting. And we all hoped that our name was on that box. But the rule in the house was, if you touch the presents before Christmas, we take them away. So we'd get as close to looking as we could, and we'd lean, and we'd try to do everything we could, you know, take toys and try to lift the tag a little bit without touching it ourselves. And that big box had my name on it. That's right. I was so excited. What could be such a big and wonderful present? Until we opened it. It was quite literally a giant box with a handful of rocks from the yard. Mostly because my parents wanted to see if we could actually resist touching those presents. Could you imagine being in that moment, a little boy so excited, you've got the biggest present there, the best thing yet, and it's just rocks from the yard, rocks that I had probably dug up when I was forced to pull weeds because I was in trouble, rocks that were so meaningless. Now, there was a fun gift as well, a few of them, but I remember my parents watching with delight as they pulled this little joke. And I remember that crushing weight, literally of rocks, wondering, oh, how dare they? See, sometimes when we get our hopes really big and we expect big things and then we don't get them, we find ourselves really disappointed. It doesn't really matter what the other thing is. If what we're looking for is not what we get, often the other thing becomes less meaningful even if just as wonderful and just as good. To be totally honest, I don't remember what the other gifts were that year because that box of rocks was the only thing I can remember. But isn't that the way it is with most of our Christmas gifts? 
They're meaningful for a little while and then they quickly end up discarded. And we look on for the next thing. We look forward to something else and we forget what we've already been given. Today as we get into the kingdom of God, Jesus tells a couple of parables about how they were looking for the big and the grandiose and the wonderful. But what he was doing was really small and seemingly insignificant. So if you want to follow along, we're in Matthew chapter 13 today. In the blue Bibles, it's on page 1022. If you want to use your own Bible or your phone, feel free. I don't know what page number that's on, but you can probably scroll just as easily on your phone. Page 1022, Matthew chapter 13. Here we go. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That's it. That's what Jesus has to teach. If you've ever read much of Jesus' words, you'll know that oftentimes I'm left wanting because he says something and then he moves on to another story and leaves you wondering what in the world was that all about? What does he mean? And over the years, much has been made about these two very short and very simple parables. So I figured I might as well add my voice into making much of it. No, I'm just joking. I figured, why? Why would Jesus give such brief and seemingly confusing stories and then move on? Well, here it goes. He begins with this parable of a mustard seed. He says, the kingdom of heaven, that is the reign and rule of God, is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. Now it's possible that there are other seeds smaller. In Jesus' day and age, it was common to use a mustard seed for rabbinic teaching to describe something really, really small. If you've ever seen mustard seeds, they're quite tiny. Jesus, he says, look, the kingdom is like this mustard seed that a man takes and he plants in his field. It's the smallest, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I've heard this parable a bunch, and people often talk about the mustard seed and how it grows to be this large tree, and then all these plants or animals can live in it, and, and it provides shade, and this tree is so wonderful. And I've always thought it was really weird that Jesus talks about the birds making nests in it. I don't know why that little bit just feels odd to me. So as I was preparing for that, I did some digging and some research, and this is not a brand new story or parable that Jesus is teaching. In fact, if you flip back to Ezekiel chapter 17 or chapter 31, in both of those places, God describes the work that He is doing in creating a tree in which 
birds come and make their nests in it. This image Jesus is using is one from the Old Testament worth exploring. See, in Ezekiel, what happens is God is describing how the, all of the prophets, all of the people leading the people of God have led them astray with false promises and lies. And he says, you're going to experience hardship. You're going to suffer. And he gives this image of a cedar tree, which cedar trees grow to be quite large. And one cedar tree in particular, it describes as reaching up to the clouds in heaven. And in both Ezekiel 17 and 31, there's this story of an eagle that swoops down and takes one small branch from this tree and flies away and plants it and begins to bring water to this tree, and the tree begins to grow, but then the tree begins to turn and look elsewhere for its life. And in Ezekiel, and, or in both chapters in Ezekiel, God goes on to describe, he says, this tree is my people. I've made them great, and I've made them mighty. I've taken them out of something small and made them wonderful, and they have turned away, in their case in Ezekiel, Fearing the Assyrians, they turn to the Egyptians for help. And God says, because of this, you will be cut down and birds will make nests on your dead trunk. And in Ezekiel, the birds making nests is describing all the other nations. The people of God that are not His chosen few. That are not the ones that are there in the Jewish heritage. All the rest of them who will be brought in to have life on the death of Israel. It's a pretty harsh word. And yet here, Jesus, in this little parable, describing the kingdom of heaven, he says, this tree will grow, and in its branches, birds will make nests. I think for the Jewish hearers, they would have known that story in Ezekiel. They would have at least been familiar with it and said something doesn't sit right here. See, in the story, it was a great and mighty tree that God then took and transplanted and made an even bigger one before it fell. But here, Jesus takes a small mustard seed and it's planted in a field and there it grows. See, I think what Jesus wants to teach you and me about His kingdom is that it rarely looks like we would expect. It doesn't start with strength and might and power and come in in all of His glory and there make everything right. It starts really small and something that seemingly is fruitless. Over time, it begins to grow to create a safe place for all. Jesus describing His kingdom of heaven says it starts in the smallest, least expected ways, but it will produce fruit. And I think there's a lot to unpack with what that means for you and me. Specifically in his time, he's referring to his kingdom come, where they expected that the new Messiah, the one coming, would rescue them and free them politically. They thought that all their political woes would be over when the Messiah shows up and in force He would come and He would kill those who were evil and then He would reign and forevermore Israel would be restored 
as a great and a mighty nation for all the world to fear. And yet, Jesus says, no, it's like a small mustard seed that begins as the smallest of all things. And it's sown into a field. In some translations, it's planted into the dirt. For Jesus, the small mustard seed of His kingdom, the very beginning and the inkling that did not come in power and might in all the ways we might think in the big, grand, and glorious moments, but came in the still small cries of a mother giving birth, of a baby in a manger, this kingdom that came through God Himself, great and mighty, being cut low for us. This kingdom that came where Jesus Himself was planted in the dirt. Where all who thought He's our hope found themselves facing His death. This kingdom has come in small and seemingly insignificant ways. Elsewhere, you would think for the Jewish people, this would be really a bother because there's 12 disciples following Jesus. And they're believing through our giving everything up, His kingdom will come. And they're believing that through what they have laid down, they will be elevated to places of greatness, to power and authority and respect and fame and glory and all these things. And yet... The message Jesus continually teaches is if you wish to have life, you need to lay yours down. If you wish to find me, you need to give up everything else and take up your cross and follow me. And at the moment of his death, he was left not with a great mighty kingdom around him to avenge him, but with everybody who abandoned him and left him to die alone the exception of John who was there at the cross for at least a little bit. Jesus tells the story of this kingdom of heaven and says it starts out small. But when it grows, not if it grows, not should it happen to grow one day, no, when it grows, it will provide safety and comfort and life for all the nations. And he gives this other metaphor. It's like a woman who took a little bit of leaven and with it leavened the whole loaf, the whole batch. The smallest bit of yeast begins to grow and in it create all the dough that rises, all the, the life and the bread, everything you need before you bake it. He says, this is what my kingdom is like. For you and me on this Christmas Eve, as we look forward to His coming, I invite you today to look for the little things, the small things that God is doing that seem so insignificant and meaningless right now. But the little things that when given time will grow to become great and mighty things. See, oftentimes we as Christians, we pray and we expect God will answer this prayer right now the way I prayed in the timing I hoped for. So we're sick and we pray for healing. And then we get annoyed when healing doesn't happen. We're hungry and we pray for food and then we get annoyed that it's not the food we wanted to eat. We wish it would have been something 
different. We find our relationships falling apart and we pray that God would mend them. But we don't want it to happen through us humbly dying to self, but instead the other person recognizing that they're wrong. See, oftentimes the things that God does in His kingdom, the way in which His reign and His rule moves in us, is not the really big, glorious, mountaintop moments. He does move in those. But most of the time, it's the still small seed that dies in the soil before it grows to new life. Most of the time, it's the little tiny moments of holding a door for somebody and smiling and wishing them well. Most of the time, it's the little tiny moments, like when the hurt that rises up from a friend or from a family member or a coworker, and you want to be angry, but instead, in that little moment where nobody's around and nobody sees, you let that hurt die and you give it to Jesus. God, you can be the one who heals this, who forgives this, who restores this. It's in those little tiny moments where we want to be right and we choose to be wronged. It's in those little things that we see God coming in us and through us. And as we prepare tonight and tomorrow morning to celebrate His birth, we remember that it's in those little moments that He continues to move today to provide for our every need. It's in the still small voice of a teenage mother giving birth. There we can see God present. It's in the dad who's confused and who's a little bit lost, who's not altogether sure what he's doing, but he chooses to do it anyway. There we see Christ with us. And we see this kingdom come in us and through us as we seek not to be the great and the mighty cedars, the pillars that everybody looks to, but to become the least of these, to become those who see God not <coughs> in the big moments, but who are looking for Him in every moment who praise Him for what He's done, even when it's not what we hoped for or expected, and even when it leaves us wondering, why did you not do it the way I had hoped or wanted? In all of these little moments, we see a King who knows your need before you even ask, who knows your desires before you even feel them, who knows how to give what you desperately need that He would step down from His throne and become for you and me the least of these. That He would give Himself in a still small way that did not come in power or might, but meek and mild, lowly and humble. And in that, we see the greatest of all kings. A king who through little things grows to the kingdom that will reign forever.
The kingdom that will have no end, that goes over all of creation and all the universe beyond any geographical boundary or political structure. The kingdom in which everything will one day be in submission to Him. And so this Christmas, our hope is not that things go as we intend or as we desire, but that whatever happens next, God would be God. And that we along the way would do everything we can to simply get out of the way. To look for the little moments and to celebrate. For He is good and He is faithful. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You sent Your Son the baby in a manger, not the king we expected, but the king we needed. Not the king we were looking for, but the king who reigns for all eternity. God, we confess that often we desire the instantaneous and the miraculous and the large, wonderful things God, we ask that you would teach us to appreciate, to long for the little moments, the moments of love that felt fleeting, the moments of kindness from an enemy, the moments of opportunity to be love for those who are unloved. God, we ask that this Christmas, as we look forward to your birth, you would help us to see you at work in all things big and small. God, we ask that you would create in us a safe place for all nations to gather and to rest, to experience your life and to discover your freedom. And God, may we live with this expectant hope that you will forevermore reign and all things will be in submission to you. Lord, we pray today for Shirley on hospice care. We pray for Chiron on his ventilator. God, we pray for those who are pregnant and sick and ask for healing. For those who have miscarried recently, comfort them. God, we pray for marriages that are struggling, for friendships that are strained. Would you begin in the small and tiny moments of every day to bring your healing, to create opportunity for love. God, we ask that in us, your kingdom would come and your will would be done. So now, Lord, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about our Cultivate Community Initiative. This is our goal here at the end of the year, to raise $50,000 above and beyond our normal offering to help us accomplish two things in the new year. That is to help overcome the deficit in rent that we had from an unexpected increase, as well as also to help us prepare the search for a long-term home that we can call as ours. If you today or any day in the coming weeks feel led to join us in this initiative, you can do so with your offering in cash or check by placing it in the black boxes in the back as you exit. If you prefer to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, once again, echo that chorus. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas today, tomorrow, and in the week to come. Emily, every week we invite questions, and uh, I do my best to respond to them. What came in today? Get comfy, everybody, because we're going to be here for a while. There Ooh. are a lot. I'm just kidding. There's literally none. Um, there is. You had me nervous. There is one comment, um, which is on January 7th, we will begin a Sunday morning Bible study covering 15 chapters of Exodus with daily readings. But please register so we can have the correct number of books on hand. So there you go. Or should we register so we can have the correct number of books on hand? Yes. Okay. I can respond to that question easily. <laughs> Uh, that one's going to be before church, 9.15 to 10.15, and I've been looking through the material. It's going to be really, really awesome, and Keith and Deanna Farmer are going to be leading that, so I know they'll do a wonderful job. If you're interested in learning more about the Exodus, you can find out about that at thepointknox.com slash events. Excellent, yes. Awesome, and that was it. That's it. Wonderful. I have a question for you then. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? <laughs> She D, all of the, the above. I love Christmas so much. All of them. All of the Excellent. traditions. Excellent. Well, tonight, I'm excited to be here together. My kids will be going to bed, and we'll be waking them up, bringing them in their pajamas so they can join us. And I shared with some of the volunteers that I was talking with Eden's classmate, uh, one of her parents recently, and uh, last year at their church, the pastor's daughter caught her hair on fire. So... Uh, I'm hoping tonight we have a wonderful night and that does not happen to the pastor's daughter, but you'll have to be here to find out, all right? So, all right. Got a question? You know, we're looking at a whole host of options for where we may end up, and there are some empty movie theaters in town, so perhaps that becomes where we end up again. I'm not entirely sure, but I know that beginning in January, the second Tuesday of every month, we're going to gather to pray and to praise and to seek the Lord about where He's leading us. So I would love for you to put that on your calendar and join us those evenings as well. Now with that, as you go this Christmas, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a great Christmas. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. 
If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.